0: Hello! Welcome to Podrick the Podcast, the incremental interview series where I, Maor Sadra, your host, interview friends from the industry about whatever comes to mind. We go through some generic questions, but mostly we let the conversation take its own course. In today's episode, I had the awesome pleasure of interviewing Robert, Chief Marketing Officer at Plik. Plik is a sustainability second-hand marketplace out of Sweden, extremely popular with Gen Z audience, thanks to the way the app works and looks. Robert and I talked a lot about the principles of measurement, MMM, building a brand, and measuring brand equity. I really enjoyed this interview, and hope you will too. And that's gonna be progress. Don't sign out of the meeting, and we're gonna start in. A... Hey, Robert. Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It seems like it's quite sunny in uh, Stockholm. You're based in Stockholm, right?
1: Yeah, I'm based in Stockholm. It's uh, yeah, it's really sunny. It's uh, great weather. Ever since I came back from my vacation, uh, I left in snow and I've been back to just sunny skies <laughs> yeah. and warm water. So I'm quite pleased you, with that, so to be
0: honest. Some would say that you brought the weather with you. Exactly. Yeah, was kind <laughs> of the plan. Cool. Well, um, maybe uh, let's start from the beginning. You want to introduce yourself and also like background to how you got to where you got.
1: Um, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll try to be brief. Um, I've um, worked in uh, marketing for um, yeah quite a few years now. Um, going back to actually my first job in sort of marketing was when I was 16. Uh, I started as a um, sort of salesperson doing kind of everything, uh, for a startup here in Stockholm, that was, um, it's called James list. It's still around actually. Um, they sort of do classified ads of super high-end things, um, like yachts, boats, cars, and, and stuff like that. And, and the only reason I got that job was that the owner was like my best friend's brother. So, um, it wasn't like I was qualified for it or anything. Um, but I started working in sales there and I sort of, um, um, got familiar with, uh, you know, the first forays into advertising because we started doing banner advertising on our sites. We started selling um, banner ads, basically. Um, then, sort of fast forward, I went worked for that company on and off. I stay, remained friends with the guys. Uh, we actually used to play like this um, company soccer league uh, here in Sweden that I still participated in uh, every now and then with the guys. Um, I studied psychology and statistics in university. Meanwhile, um, without any real sort of plan of uh, going into marketing specifically, and then I sort of landed back in in marketing, um, and was always interested in marketing. I sort of started working in marketing when uh, during the time when sort of pixel tracking was new for Facebook and conversion tracking for Google AdWords, and um, the idea that you could sort of you know see that you're paying. I don't know, uh, $1 and getting $2 back in in ROI was such a huge deal for So I was very much brought up in sort of that CPA ROI driven uh, marketing world. I always found it sort of interesting um, from a a statistics and and maths point of view to do the sort of analysis, but then also the duality of, you know, at the end of the analysis, it's still a person being you know exposed to a message some kind of communication and it's like it's very psychological marketing so i think that's how i sort of um drifted towards marketing ended up there and then I, I was always very much sort of interested in the evaluation side of advertising like what does it really actually do because it's such a fundamentally psychologically thing uh, you know and in within psychology the, one of the biggest challenges is trying to measure things that are fundamentally inside someone's brain, like, you know, um, brand awareness or uh, preference, uh, things like that, or personality is something that psychologists try to measure all the time and it's, you know, it's tricky. So, um, yeah, um, fast forward and I started working at different agencies in in Sweden Um, and um, yeah, now I'm at uh, Plik working as the CMO and uh, I guess my sort of, um, what I bring to the table is still very much that sort of, trying to evaluate what we do from a data-driven point of view, um, while still understanding that there are limitations to what the data can say and can't say. And I think that's, for me, the sort of core of being data-driven is understanding like where the data doesn't have any answers anymore, you know?
0: By the way, when you, so it's super interesting that you started so young in a way, like when you were at that first company selling yachts. by the way, uh, was it mainly like, you got into the digital side because you were like the young one there, understanding how computers work
1: uh, style thing? No, n- not really. To be honest, I was um, one of the best things about the company was that uh, the um, the CEO at the time, time and one of the founders was like this kind of Silicon Valley guy. He, he had been brought up in sort of that. Uh, that world, he had worked a lot in, in the U S and and was really, really, really sharp and competent. He was sort of, he was a business person who learned programming because he understood in order to sort of work with developers, he needed to be able to check people on their sort of work and understand how things are done. So, I mean, he was sort of very much like a digital pioneer in a lot of aspects, you know, he built his first business. I think he started when he was about. 19 was you know shipping pet food uh, to people like e-commerce before e-commerce was even really like a thing in Sweden. Um, so I remember uh, very clearly because it was like this kind of techie startup vibe and um, I was introduced to Instagram like ridiculously early. And before anyone in Sweden really was using it some for years, my Instagram account was just like four pictures from like, I don't know, 2013 or something, no interaction, no comments, no likes, no nothing. And that was like for years, the thing, uh, because I was like, it was just a group of early adopters. And I quite quickly understood like how big, you know, it's going to be all of the e-commerce and and sort of the internet and digital advertising. And, uh, yeah, so I think I, I learned like undeservedly much at that company at such a young age.
0: No, that's cool. That's cool. So it's like, a, so I. by the way, also, I think that what you studied sound like, sounds like it's the perfect thing because it's, a, you know, I think I think now some universities indeed teach digital marketing, which I don't really know how you understand the academia side of it. But at the end of the day, I think that learning statistics and psychology is really like the perfect mix to kind of understand the complexities of this world and understanding that at the end, what we're dealing with is law of large numbers and uh, convincing people with messaging.
1: Yeah, um, I, f- I feel the same way. And um, it wasn't planned from the sort of start, but I-, I realized how useful it is. And and at the same time, um, sort of working in the field for a longer time, being involved in recruitment processes, I've also realized that uh, people with fancy marketing degrees aren't uh, always the the people that you want working in in sort of uh, modern marketing departments uh, for various reasons. But I mean, it's obvious that academia has always had a hard time sort of keeping up with you know how the world is developing and and the sort of the shift to digital. I guess just accelerates that and and uh, and also a- a- academic sort of marketing. Um, or, or uh, degrees they tend to they tend to give you a very sort of niche and narrow view of like there is one model to apply to every marketing problem and it's the sort of the true one whichever your professor happened to pick for that course uh, and it's it's almost a bit of like it can sometimes be even harder to sort of break those assumptions and and the traditional way of thinking so uh, it's definitely a challenge in terms of recruiting uh, in digital marketing or in sort of in modern marketing teams, uh, I would say
0: it's, it's actually it's amazing. I, I also so I also rolled into this industry not knowing what I'm getting in, myself into, and completely fell in love with it. But today, you know, sometimes when uh, I interview people uh, for like jobs, people really want to go into the space. I'm like, how do you even know about this space? <laughs> sometimes I don't get how they understand about it, even though again, the two biggest companies in the world are essentially selling ads online. So.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite interesting. I, I, I feel a bit of the same way. I, th- I think a lot of the people that I encounter go into sort of marketing from the sort of the brand point of view, they want to be creative, they want to express, um, you know, emotions and, and feelings and, and those things. And I, I think there's a lot of value in that as well, especially since it's not sort of who I am fundamentally. Um, I'm more interested in, in analyzing the sort of the output of that. Um, but then also, I've always had this sort of idea and maybe it's very arrogant or completely wrong of me, but I've always had friends who are engineers and study uh, physics and and sort of those types of things. And I always felt like if they, um, you know, if they didn't think what we did was so boring, we would be much further along sort of. They they tend to uh, spend more of the time working on the sort of stocks and and trading instead uh, and making more money. So I think um, I'm not sure how much truth there is to that, but it's just some... uh, funny reflection that I have
0: sometimes. Mm, cool. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like asking this question. What advice would you give someone trying to enter the space or entering the space today?
1: Yeah, I would I would have the advice to really sort of um, understand different perspectives. I think going tying back to, to what we talked about earlier, sort of people coming from my type of background tend to have a very sort of simplistic. There's only sales here and now today um world view people coming from sort of um well i don't want to see the other side but it it is kind of the other side from the brand side um tend to have the view that there's only sort of emotions pr and you know you can't build a brand uh, through paid advertising for example is something that i heard quite recently and i mean such a statement is obviously absolutely ridiculous because literally every company in the world is doing that but Like in one context, in a, a, you know, um, fancy school, that could be sort of true because you're supposed to have this, you know, very creative campaigns and that's how you build the brand according to that professor. So I think we're reaching a point in marketing where being a generalist is actually uh, more interesting than being a specialist because the sort of the specialists are so highly specialized at what they do. And it's more important to get the sort of the big picture sometimes.
0: So let me go to the most generic question that I asked in each one of these interviews and really, really interested to hear kind of like your answer. Is marketing an art or a science.
1: Yeah. Um, I actually, I think that's, yeah, don't take this the wrong way. I think it's a bit of a, uh, sort of, I don't know. It's a bit of a wrong question. I think every thing is both an art and a science. I mean, even physics. In some sense, you know, it's it's an art to design the right experiment, and then it's a science to sort of analyze the output of that experiment, and then the process of working, you know, um, experiment to experiment is obviously that's where science happens. But it's again you as a human who have to sort of design that process and, and follow that process. So um, I, I'm not sure that there is a good answer to sort of art or science. I think I do feel though that the shift has sort of come about. Quite recently, where marketing is pushed to be a science, because sort of CFOs have so much power in the in the corporate structure, and uh, there's a desire to sort of be able to show the exact ROI on every sort of dollar that you're spending, and and, uh, and I mean just in in general, maybe there's a push towards sort of more bean counting way of running businesses in general, um, and that I think sort of misunderstands the, the the artfulness of uh, marketing right like not not every dollar spent on marketing is um is the same you know 1 dollar is spent in this sort of creative campaign and the other dollar is spent in a different campaign and it's very hard to compare that dollar sort of uh 1 to 1 with itself if, if that makes sense um i think i'm breaking some very fundable, uh, fundamental fundamental principles about like the fungibility of of uh, money here but what i'm basically saying is that um, that you can't expect the same efficiency from every ad dollar that you spend, basically.
0: You know, it's like I, I, I get that. And by the way, it's like even though coming from a data science company, um, there are people who really think and believe that the future you'll have a button where you just press the button and then everything just magically happens. And, you know, coming, let's say, from the music world, I doubt and would not want a magical button creating songs, even though from a, let's say, scientific standpoint, you could essentially create a recipe that would create a hit song. I yeah. I don't necessarily want to live in that future.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's we're, we're touching on some philosophical questions, and I remember very clearly having this conversation a couple of years ago where um, my old boss would sort of argue the fact that uh, or, or at least a the theory that we would sometime in the in the future just marketing would be done by just sort of clicking play on a on a button, and and I really don't see how that you know would ever happen. I, I think technically that's sort of misunderstanding how machines work at least today. I mean, maybe in some you know um, general AI you know far future that's um, that's possible, but then. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's tech, like technologically further away than you might think. I still think that um, then even if you were able to sort of optimize perfectly using a robot, you know, um, strategy comes into it, creative comes into it. There's so much more elements, and it's uh, it's complex, and it's also it's not really a simple optimization problem. Like you're trying to solve for a lot of different things at once. You know, you're trying to communicate. Your values and who you are as a company. You're trying to drive sales. You're trying to reach a lot of people. Um, Yeah, it's. um, I think it's easy to underestimate um, the complexity of the of the world, and I also think that's the simple answer to why sort of marketers don't have a better answer to exact ROI of every sort of dollar that they spend because it is complex. And and I guess maybe the most complex part of it for me is the sort of the different timescales that. Uh, Marketers are working on the sort of balancing act of doing long-term marketing versus short-term driving sales. Um, Yeah, I think that throws a big wrench in the whole optimization problem. Like, which period of time are we optimizing for the next 20 years, the next year, uh,
0: etc. So, let's go for the next question, which is in a way related. So, I think, uh, you know, being in the space for for quite a bit of time, I would say our industry had enormous access to user-level data. And in in the last two years, we obviously have seen steps where the world is becoming a bit more privacy first, I would say, especially when it comes to tracking, targeting attribution. Now, the question is, do you see this privacy first world as more of a curse or a blessing for you as a CMO?
1: Yeah, a really good question. I think it's, um, to be honest, I, I tend to view it as more of a blessing. Um, perhaps because I never really felt like, um, I, f- I felt like uh, the sort of attribution was also always oversold by the actors who were selling it basically. And that's kind of how, how sort of, um, uh, one unfortunate, I guess, consequence of working in marketing, I mean, fundamentally marketers are really good at selling whatever they, it is that they do, you know? Um, And especially working for agencies, I mean, it's it's quite uh, you see it from the other side where obviously, you know, we're going to pitch whatever attribution modeling uh, we use and the other agencies are going to pitch their sort of model of of reality. Um, I think for me, it was always in theory, a fantastic sort of solution. um, But it was fundamentally a data or still is it's a data engineering problem. Like it's impossible to actually stitch together a user journey in that way. So you just end up with permanently analyzing an incomplete picture. Uh, I'm sorry. That was my dog barking. I hope that's it. That's the
0: third dog. That's the third dog we handled on the series. So that's all good.
1: Great. Um, yeah, so, so that's my thoughts on sort of, um, on tracking people and and i I, i've always felt like we did more tracking that than we actually sort of leveraged you know yeah yeah. Uh, needed and um and in a lot of times back to the sort of what data can't show you so you would completely sort of ignore channels that you can't track within attribution and and sort of make decisions the other way around it's like because i can't use this hammer to fit that screw, I'm just going to ignore screwing that part in, you know. Um, yeah,
0: so, uh, ah, that's a, that's yeah. a great a I, Hey, I, I, I really connected this analogy. It's like, oh, that must be a spare. Um, Now, it, it's, it's weird. So obviously, like I, I would say I was born into the digital first uh, advertising world. And my dream to solve the measurement problem for many years was multi-touch, trying to understand, you know, every step of the journey of the way. And then, yep. Every time I thought about it, then there was a voice telling me, what about cross-platform? Yep. Okay. And then it was like, I, th- I think there's a reason why like, our digital world often just refers to it's offline, it's branding, yeah. we, can't, <laughs> we can't measure it. Now, um, obviously, again, it's like, um, how did you guys adapt to an IDFA uh, reality, IDFA-less reality?
1: Yeah, and, and this is, I guess, the, the sort of why I'm seeing it as a as a blessing, because, I mean, I never really wanted to act 100% on attribution data because of all the sort of um, reasons that you're giving and, and because we know that it's an incomplete and imperfect picture. Uh, so, so you can't at least act 100% on it. Um, there's also another sort of aspect of it that I always thought about, and that is, like, if you... If you were to go out to a random person on the street who just bought a coke and then ask them could you please point me to the ad that made you convert on that coke uh, they would probably assume that you're crazy uh, because no one no human sort of reasons that way and that that is fundamentally what attribution is doing um, so th- the reason i'm seeing it as, as, a, as a blessing is first of all i think it's, um, it's good to be able to work in a field which sort of um does it at least some part to uphold uh, ethical concerns um so i mean it's easier to recruit people when you know what you're doing is not tracking people all over the internet and, and sort of uh, you know doing shady things with customary data um it's always nice as a cmo to be so, sort of to be able to say that right and to be crass it's also a competitive advantage, like um you know other companies have been stuck in this world and have been over reliant on on uh, this data and they don't know what to do um for me personally i've been sort of questioning this uh, way of working for a while and and also um because of my role at precis digital working very closely with with facebook i started sort of pushing incrementality as a uh, framework and as a way of at least thinking about um you know evaluating marketing um quite early on so so i think that uh, yeah i was just personally quite well placed um, to take advantage of a shift
0: um, you know one of the terms it. that one of the terms that bothered me the, the most um, in the world of attribution and measurement so like again i've i've always been fairly opinionated i would say similar to you but what bothered me the, the most was the term deterministic it wasn't just that it was called attribution it was called a deterministic attribution means this ad is why this user bought this Coke. Yeah.
1: Which it, is of course complete nonsense.
0: Yeah, but and and the the use of that and again when the, like when when we started incremental like shortly after Apple made their announcement, I literally wrote a guest post to Ad Exchanger called Thank You Apple. Yeah, for putting some order in this chaos because the notion of like making every single marketing decision on this, like notion that this is the reason this is the single reason why this user bought this Coke for me is almost delusional.
1: I mean, it is because uh, obviously as a human, you know that you went and bought a Coke because you were thirsty and you wanted a nice refreshing beverage, you know, it wasn't because of an ad. And, And also I, what I really dislike about this is that the illusion that it creates, that sort of marketing is, is not just pushing people's sort of probabilities to, to take an action, but it's actually sort of mind control. If I show you an ad, go now to, uh, you know, to your local store and buy a coat," that that's the only thing that you're going to do. And it's like two options, either you do that instantly or you don't. And then like, it's a pass or fail. And that is, and it's something that I actually, I, I find myself, in, in the position of quite a lot, sort of trying to explain to uh, different stakeholders that advertising doesn't work in that way; it, it doesn't have that sort of power. Um, and it, it's it's a bit bizarre having to explain such such things uh, at times. But yeah.
0: Going back to the point of the CFO having a, a, like power in a lot of companies, the CFO basically, based on this analogy, says, "Well, if this is the reason why the user." About the scope, then literally just run this ad, this yeah. like, again, I would say like data kind of reached a point where it confused us more than contribute to us. So, you know, if you like CPG brands, okay, obviously ones who don't live in a digital first world, they never had this enormous amounts of data. So often okay. what they would rely on is consumer surveys and so on. Now we are now living in a world where the average consumer sees anywhere between 5,000 and 30,000 brands a day. That's apparently yeah. the statistics. Why did you buy this code? Was it because they said, I have no idea. I was thirsty. Exactly. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, it's um,
1: ridiculous to think about that sort of that number, um, and also sort of what it takes to even, um, you know, become salient in that environment. Like how much, um, how much better does your creative have to be than your competitors to sort of the breakthrough, um, especially based on the fact that at some point, some companies are so big, they can just buy all the media they, they want basically and all the impressions and reach. And it doesn't, you know, they can sort of weigh up their creative disadvantage
0: with just money, um, yeah. By the way, early 2000s, first ad network company I worked at, one of the most popular creatives we used to, uh, uh, we used to uh, uh, run on the network, I'm not proud to say it, but it was these super flickering pop-ups. <laughs> we were one of those companies. We were like the pop-up companies. Um, now let's go to Plik a little bit. So Plik is not just an app, it's a marketplace, okay? So means it has real people in it. It's not... Just it's it's not just a virtual environment. What's the marketing strategy that you've used to grow Pleek?
1: Um, to be honest, it's it's grown mainly organically. Um, it's been it's been growing sort of with very little investment, and and the reason for that is how the company was started. It was um, it was started as a side project for for um, for this IT company, IT consultants. Uh, and basically when you have consultants, um, when they're not on other projects, uh, not working sort of billable hours, you'd want them to, you know, still do something productive. And this was, um, this was the app basically plex So it was just started as a project for developers to work on, uh, in their sort of spare time. Um, and I think that that's been one of the like really important parts uh, of success because what happened is we were sort of found by this generation, you know Z of really young tiktok audience that find sort of secondhand sustainability extremely important uh, for them it was quite natural to use an app for this purpose rather than going online on websites uh, in sweden we have tradera which is a really uh, sort of big secondhand marketplace, but it's also for everything. This app was sort of niche, fashion, um, quite easy to understand. And it looks very much and feels very much like Instagram, which I think also uh, helps a lot in that sort of uh, user audience. So it started out that way. It started acquiring users quite organically with very low marketing uh, budgets and marketing spend. Um, at some point, uh, digital uh, which is our current uh, marketing agency, um, started working with, uh, with us and, and then it sort of became a combination, I guess, of organic growth and then paid performance, um, advertising after sort of reaching quite a lot of users. Then we started working more proactively with branding, um, and, uh, yeah, expanding the audience that's been sort of the, the story of, uh, and, and I should say also a lot of this was sort of before my time, before I, I, I joined the company. So uh, this is also what I've been told.
0: Out of out of 10 people in Sweden, how many do you think know Plik the brand?
1: That's a really, really, really good question. We've been uh, discussing, trying to measure this uh, lately and looking at different sort of uh, measurements for our brand uh, in general. And I would say like within the, uh, if, if you were asked, if you're asking within, you know, women 14 to 17, I would say really high, like 80% or something, but I think then it drops off extremely significantly after that uh, target audience. So um, yeah, I'd have to, to give an informed answer. I have to think about how big that population is in relation to the rest of uh, Sweden, but yeah, yeah, not very high. I would say maybe twenty percent maximum or something like that. Um, but
0: still, so it's growing. That's for sure. And I guess last month it might have grown as well. Um,
1: yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Uh, definitely, hmm. uh, it's growing month over month. And I think what we find uh, just based off of sort of anecdotes. Again, we're um, working on brand measurement still, and. Um, For me, it's it's actually one of the more interesting current measurement challenges in in advertising, tying together, Um, you know, we've been very much working with CPI ROI um, and so forth, but tying the brand metrics to the sales metrics is is a very, very, very hard uh, challenge. But I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. What was uh, your question again?
0: (laughs) Oh, it was a sidetrack question, like out of 10 people, how many uh, people know plague? Uh, but I think you answered and I wanted to ask a different question, also kind of t- touching something you talked about earlier. How do you define incrementality in marketing?
1: Ooh, um, I mean, on the, at the simplest level, um, in order to define incrementality, you would have to define some sort of baseline. Uh, so it's in relationship to your baseline, and uh, yeah, it's it's a bit. I I always end up in this position whenever I get asked this question, and and it's not a trivial like a trivial problem because I have a team and employees, and I I have to understand this in order for us to have a sort of a shared picture of what it is that we're doing. So. Uh, yeah, the basic story for me is that a company has a sort of baseline of performance and growth. And uh, you know, if we were to cut all the sort of advertising spend and everything that we do today, we would still sort of have some um, you know, organic installs and people were converting, but it would sort of slowly die down um, that baseline. If you were to sort of drive it into the future, incrementality is whenever we do something and that sh- it sort of shifts the baseline. Uh, Upwards or downwards, I suppose, but uh, preferably upwards. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I tend to draw be... a lot when I try to explain the incrementality because I, I I feel it's hard to explain without drawing. At the same time, it's quite easy to understand visually. Uh, I feel. Yeah how, yeah. how do you explain it? I, I mean, I I assume that you must be in this position much more yeah, than yeah, I am. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, for what's me... your
1: sort of two-sentence explanation?
0: I don't know if it's a two sentence, but I would say the incrementality is again, I would say like ensuring that what you're doing is actually contributing to growth and for you to be able to actually measure value. And again, I would say kind of like, you know, the reasons why I started this company, like fairly opinionated about this world and understanding that attribution as a solution like last touch, multi-touch. It's not that it's bad. Okay. It's great. And I would say, even if I do not like the world deterministic, if this ad was the last ad the user saw before they bought the Coke. And let's say if you can measure it, it's fact. Okay. You cannot really argue with fact, but it doesn't explain why the user bought the Coke. It doesn't tell the full story. Now, understanding that we cannot tell the full story, we don't know and we will not know. And honestly, I don't want to know every single stage of the user's journey to why they ended up uh, getting this Coke specifically. Um, I do think there is a, problem that is a measurement problem that where like the tools marketers had today were more giving ammunition to the CFO rather than the marketer yeah yeah and again if you see if if a CFO would be running marketing i think we both know how that would end up
1: yeah uh I, yeah i think it's quite clear and and i agree with you um completely there's also there's another answer that i give to that questions when i when i speak speak with people who um, are very used to working with MMM, um, usually in large corporations. And um, in that case, I explain incrementality as, you know, you have your table from your MMM output, which says that Google Ads has a ROI of 1.5, Subway advertising or out of home has a, you know, ROI of 0.8. You create a hypothesis we should shift budget from out of home to google ads because it's obviously giving a better roi that's all fine and, and fun and games using mmm incrementality comes in you know once you've made that decision in order to validate that you actually get more roi out of google ads because mmm doesn't say anything about the future it can only only you know uh, give you a historic look back so i guess one way of thinking about it that i've been using a bit is you know MMM is how you create your hypothesis is, 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 and uh, incrementality is how you validate them, right?
0: Yeah. By the way, Robert, you're like one of the you're you're the one percent of people who understands MMM incrementality, last touch. I would say difference in usability or use cases. Uh, right now, I would say in the last year since like the whole uh, deprecation of the IDFA, people massively confused between MMM and incrementality, thinking that oh, I just need that. No, these are two completely different things for different use cases, and the amount of data you need for one is completely different from the other. And uh, but it's a, yeah, I find that interesting. And again, you are definitely one of the one percent, so that's a compliment. Oh, um,
1: um, that is a compliment. I, I I feel like I don't understand uh, it, it at all, but I guess that's um, maybe. Uh, but but you touch on something that's quite um, interesting, and I want to ask you this question. I feel like marketers have an expectation that there should be one tool where all of these sort of um, questions are answered. You know, the MMM aspect of what is the diminishing returns curve, the incrementality aspect of validating my hypotheses, which uh, aren't always sort of very well formula, like uh, you know, well defined, um, and also, yeah. And having that one tool rather than what we talked about earlier, seeing that, okay, attribution is one type of tool that solves a type of problem. The, pro- the issue there is just that marketers don't have that problem very much anymore, so they don't really need that tool in their tool belt. Um,
0: what's your take on that? So uh, maybe I'm too honest right now with customers when I get asked about MMM, but I say, look, a third party can never build MMM for you. MMM needs to be biased. It needs to include your hypothesis and understanding, also your knowledge of what you're gonna do um, budget-wise, promotions-wise, price-wise, what is your actual goals as a company. And I don't think you can sassify and have like a third party where you just dump the data and it works. Um, There are frameworks, okay? Uh, Facebook released Robin, there's a framework for MMM. That's great. You can also, you have a couple of, I wouldn't necessarily call it open source, but you have a couple of available tools to again drop your data. But you need to be the one coming up with a lot of the assumptions to make MMM work. Incrementality indeed is about validating, and it's completely different approach from last attribution or MMM. And again, last is a fairly simple methodology that is now kind of getting commoditized Apple with their SKA network, Google with their sandbox. I don't know how they're gonna call their like attribution if it's gonna be Firebase or not. But maybe in the future, you know, a a single company will have last touch and like incrementality, even though those two are very different from one another, also from a commercial standpoint. Um, like one of the reasons why we're flat priced because it wouldn't make any sense for us to like, try to incentivize the customer to spend more, spend less. And again, going back to the CFO point, from a CFO mm-hmm. standpoint, if they had to run marketing, they would either cut everything or literally just spend on the last touch. Oh, let's just spend yeah. on the last touch, just work. And then eh, that's, that's how your marketing growth will end up looking like. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's really... Um really interesting I, I i thought of a a different sort of thing that i've also thought in in about a lot in relationship to um to the sort of attribution and last touch question i, I actually i worked um, on an undisclosed project let's say where we're building an uh, an attribution a very sophisticated attribution black box let's call it um and the sort of the data scientist I was working with, he uh, he kept bringing up this interesting finding that, like, we did a lot of work on that attribution model, but if you rank like rank order the channel, uh, it turns out that last touch is quite a good approximation for most like uh, attribution uh, attribution algorithms because of some certain factors like um for example direct traffic always has a huge impact in in um, yeah in in attribution because you have a lot of customer journeys that only have one touch point so there's like nothing more to say about it and something that i've also thought about a lot with what you mentioned like the modeling of uh, conversions that uh, apple does that google's now looking into doing like okay so you have one attribution model that's sort of google does and then you stack another attribution machine learning top model on top of that and there might even be a third machine learning model somewhere hidden that you don't even know about you know like what happens when you stack all these models on top of each other um i think that you're introducing so much sort of um you know the understandability of your models becomes completely useless and and that's where i also think that attribution um fails a lot in that. At the end of the day, you want to have tools that you can use as a marketer and the sort of the easier to use the tools are the more uh, successful you're going to be with them. Kind of. Um, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, it does to me, but yeah. the one percent. Uh, jumping to the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a couple of like, you know, bullet points. It's not even questions. It's kind of like what your thoughts, what's your opinion? Uh, feel free to give in like. Uh, jumpy, uh, fast answers. NFT.
1: Uh, Interesting technology, extremely overhyped in terms of uh, sort of specific NFTs. I think that in the future, most things that are already digital assets will be an NFT. And I don't see any sort of any issues with it really. But um, yeah, completely misunderstood and overhyped.
0: And very much related, the metaverse.
1: Oh, it's, I'm
0: just going to say weird, uh, <laughs> and leave it at that. Okay. Uh, uh, cross-platform marketing.
1: Just marketing. It's always been. cross <laughs>
0: cross-platform. Uh, okay. Great answer. Great answer. Uh, influencer marketing.
1: Ooh, this is a tricky one. I, um, overhyped, uh, a bit sort of, um, past its peak and prime of being able to like really, you know, uh, mine for gold and and, uh, kind of exploit people who don't understand the value of their uh, followers. But now that the market's sort of stabilized a bit, um, I think it's here to stay. And I think what's going to happen is uh, sort of more and more people are going to be influencers. I think we're just going to like move down to uh, soon you and you and I, Mar, we're going to be able to, uh, run some campaigns on our Instagram accounts. Uh, oh, my Instagram account has
0: no followers. My LinkedIn does. My LinkedIn has quite a lot of followers.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, and and then, then, I think at that point it will sort of start to turn back around and, yeah.
0: What's a random fact about you?
1: Random fact about me. Um, oh, there's so many. Uh, I feel like there's almost no non-random fact uh, about me. Um, Let's see if I can think of a, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I hate these types of questions. Sorry. What (laughs) comes to mind? What comes to mind? Um, I mean, random, um, Random fact, I, I very recently got into trying to learn chess. And even though I really don't want to spend time doing it, I can't stop. <laughs> so, uh, I really like to play games of different sorts, I guess is a good one.
0: Cool. Chess.com?
1: Um, yeah, sure. I, I, I downloaded that app thing. I think it's just from test.com.
0: Yeah, okay, sure. cool. Well, you can play me and you can play my son. My son is nine, by the way. I never let him uh, win, but he now is at a point where he beats me 50% of the times. Oh, my God. I think you're both probably much, <laughs> much, much better
1: than I am. By the way, <laughs> was it
0: was it the Queen's Gambit that got you into it? The Netflix show?
1: I wouldn't say that, I've always been very much into strategy games, I've, I've been a gamer, um, I played a lot of StarCraft, and, and I've always um, enjoyed, yeah, just the strategy and tactics, and and I love all kinds of games, which aren't games of uh, chance, by the way, I, I hate losing, so I only play games that I know I'm going to win, and preferably against people who are worse than me, <laughs> so I can beat them.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, Robert, if people want to follow you or ping you or reach out to you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Um, yeah, I guess you can probably find me on LinkedIn uh, or Instagram, Robert Juravich. Um, yeah, or email me. Um, but
0: LinkedIn wise, how many unread messages do you have against CMO in an app company? How many unread messages from random salespeople offering you good traffic in wherever? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know off the top of my head right now to thus far, it hasn't been too bad. Um, but it's, it's getting worse and worse. And uh, <laughs> yeah, ev- everyone has, uh, has their pitch. And, and what's really interesting is that pe- I've noticed that people are also like becoming increasingly aggressive in their like chains. They're, yeah. they're first like doing some very kind of creative uh, message about, you know, sort of that's half a mile long doesn't really get to the point of what they're trying to sell. And then their next follow-up message is like passive aggressive that you didn't answer their first automated email.
0: This is the last approach I'm going to try. If you don't respond, I will understand. Yeah, I get those.
1: Yeah. And I hate those. I think they're so sort of condescending because you're also, you're talking to like another marketing person, you know, like I know what you're trying to do. This isn't like, um, yeah. So, um, not not too happy about that aspect of my
0: new job, but <laughs> I
1: guess it's just something to live with. I've completely stopped answering my phone. Um, it's just not worth they, it anymore. They
0: find your phone as well, or your yeah, line?
1: Yeah, no, no. Uh, I have a mobile phone, and I don't know how they do it, but it's absolutely impossible to get rid of the <laughs> telemarketing people. Uh, wow. it's one of life's actually biggest mystery as a like a CMO. I would I would al- almost want to work as a CMO for a team that has like a huge telemarketing department just to understand, like, how do they keep finding my number all the time?
0: You know, my my first job in the industry, like when I really, really started first three months, my role was lead hunter. It was basically to find potential advertisers for this ad network I was working. And this was before Google was the most popular search engine. We're talking Alta Vista days. All right. People would literally ask, how did you get this number? I was like, I have my ways. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything seemed like magic back then. Uh, the most yeah. basic features. Cool. So Robert, thank you so much for your time. Um, I, I, I guess maybe because it's a sunny day in Sweden, you get the full day off, right? That's that's the rule there, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, yeah, we always get full days off when it's snowing outside, and uh, if there's polar bear hazards in the streets, then we also
0: get to stay home. <laughs>
1: Those are the two national level rules here in Sweden.
0: Cool. So thanks, uh, thank you very much. It was really fun again uh, talk, going into philosophizing and uh, especially with someone who kind of like truly gets uh, this problem. Has been thinking about it for a while. So thank you so much. Oh, uh, thank you.
1: I, I really appreciate you, uh, you having me and uh, and the nice compliments. I I'm not sure if I agree, but uh, I'm gonna leave it to that and. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, very nice chatting with you about uh, marketing and all things now and the future. Cool, then cheers. Thank you so much. Thank you.